0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about sacrifice. It'll play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to ask you to do something that I've asked you to do before. Will you please take some time to leave this podcast a rating or review on whichever podcast host you use? If you'll do that, then it will help our sermons be heard by more people. And as I always say, we think that is really important, really valuable. So if you could leave us a rating or review, it will help us spread the message of Jesus further. We'd really, really appreciate it. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Before I get into the verse, let me tell you something. I have a a four-year-old son. His name is Rogan. He's almost five years old. And yesterday, Saturday, my wife and I and Rogan, we went to the school that I work at. I'm the chaplain, I'm the Bible teacher, and it's a small uh, private Christian school uh, that needs a lot of help cleaning up. And so this was sort of a cleanup day. And they, um, during last year, had some roof problems on the main building. And so they had a tarp over it so that it, you know, water wouldn't leak into the building. But this tarp started to fray and it just got stuff everywhere. So my wife and I were literally vacuuming the grass. We had a shop vac and we were just going and vacuuming all of these frays off of the grass. It was really bizarre looking, but that's what we were doing. And Rogan was not helping, obviously, he's four years old. And he was running around and he came to us and he was holding these berries. And he he said, Mommy, can I eat this? And it was this bumpy, weird looking berry that we'd never seen before. So of course we said yes. No, I'm just kidding. We didn't say yes. We said no, right? No, we've never seen people eat this. We didn't actually know what it was from. It was on this tree. And he was just picking these berries. He said, No, and Ashley said, That's poison. We don't No, but, I mean, that's a good assumption. If you never see someone eat this, it's probably not good for you. So she said, no, you don't eat that. That's poison. And so a few minutes pass, and then we realize that Rogan is still picking these berries, and he's filling his hands with these. And Ashley says, Rogan, don't. That's poison. Why are you picking those berries? And he says, because if bad guys come, I'm going to throw them in in his mouth. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And what I love about children is that they say uh, what we think oftentimes. They're just, that's what it is. If there's a bad person, I want to do something bad to them. And as Christians, we're called to live sort of despite those feelings that we have sometimes where someone says something that we think is particularly stupid, so we want to let them know. Yet, as Christians, we're called to live above those feelings. And Rogan is young and still learning, and so that was a learning opportunity. And uh, hopefully he doesn't want to poison anybody anymore. Um, But for us, that's really kind of what sacrifice is. It's looking at the things that we want to do and questioning whether or not that's the right thing to do. And so let me read this passage. It's Hebrews 13, uh, verses 14 through 16. This is the NET translation. Uh, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And so Hebrews is, the book of Hebrews, um, many would say the author being Paul, we're not entirely certain, so we'll just say the author of Hebrews, discusses this idea of sacrifice and trusting Jesus. In fact, the theme is Jesus deserves your faith, so have faith and don't fall away. Uh, And it could be said even more succinctly, which is, Jesus is better. No matter what you're doing, no matter what it is that's in your life, no matter what you want to do, Jesus is better. And that's really the the theme of Hebrews. And it, it, it comes down to the idea of trusting Jesus. You know, we shouldn't put our ultimate trust in anything or anybody but Jesus. And uh, when I was researching this, I uh, was remembering this story, and so I looked it up, and apparently there's many different versions, so I'll tell you this version that most closely represents what I first heard, but it's a story of a French soldier uh, during World War I who was severely injured during the Battle of Somme. And Somme is this uh, river in northern France where a lot of uh, battles happened during the First World War. And when the surgeon saw the injury that this um, soldier got and realized that he had to amputate the arm, he was very concerned. Because this young man was, in many ways, just a magnificent specimen of manhood. And just the idea that he would have to go through his entire life maimed was really disheartening. And so the surgeon, after performing the amputation, stood by at the bedside of the soldier because he wanted to give him the sobering news when he regained consciousness. And so when the soldier finally regained consciousness, the surgeon said, I'm very, very sorry to tell you that you've lost your right arm. And the soldier looked at him and said, I didn't lose it, I gave it for France. And for me, that just encapsulates the reality of what sacrifice is. It has nothing, nothing at all to do with what we lose, but everything at all to what we are willing to give. And so the sermon today, in many ways, is calling us to sacrifice in the same way this soldier did. Not that we need to give our right arms. In fact, I would strongly discourage that. But that we should be willing to give our lives for the sake of our homeland. And and here in Hebrews, uh, chapter 13 through 14, it it says in the translation I read... um, For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. In the NLV, they they say it a little bit differently. I don't know if I have the NLV translation, but it says right here, For here is not our permanent home, but we look forward to a home that is still to come. And that's really the heart of that verse, that this isn't our homeland, but we look forward to a home that is yet to come. And so... We sacrifice. We sacrifice for the sake of that future home. We sacrifice for the sake of Jesus. We should be giving our lives for that reality. And in this Hebrew passage, it gives us three specific ways in which we as Christians should be sacrificing. It's with the things that we say with the things that we do and with the things that we are willing to give. So the three things that Hebrews here calls us to sacrifice are in the things that we say, the things that we do, and the things that we are willing to give. But that seems to me kind of self-explanatory, but the, the reality is how do, we, how do we get to a point to where we are willing and, in fact, wanting to sacrifice our lives in this way. First, I want to talk about sacrifice. Um, It's a little bit harder for us now because you're not going to go over to your friend's house and he's going to be like, hey, let's play some video games. But before we do that, I want to slaughter this goat really quickly. If that's happening, you have weird friends, right? We don't live in a culture where everywhere you look, sacrifice is just sort of built in to the reality. But um, sacrifice, in many ways, has been around forever. I mean, in in Jewish tradition, they were uh, doing guilt offerings and sacrifices since the beginning, since the sons of Adam and Eve. Sacrifice has existed throughout history, Cleotarchus and Plutarch, who were uh, ancient historians, talk of um, sacrifice, even child sacrifice, for the sake of of Kronos and Jupiter and Baal Haman. In fact, uh, Cleotarchus tells us that they would put children into the arms of a bronze statue and that they would light the child on fire for the sake of their gods. what they would do is that the priests would beat drums so that it would be louder than the scream, so that the father didn't have to hear it. Imagine living in a culture where your neighbors are doing that. They also talk of Moloch, who was the Carthaginian god, who also required child sacrifice. And if you look around, even, even farther out you have uh, in, in In India, with the um, Vedic religion, which later sort of evolved into Hindu religion with the brahmana texts, but they, they had obligatory sacrifices all the time in terms of their uh, animal sacrifices in, in uh, China and in Japan in China specifically, you had um, folk religions uh, where You would sacrifice animals, but in cases with rulers, if you served a ruler in life, you'd you'd pretty much hope that they weren't too old, because if they died, you were expected to serve them in death too, which means you would be sacrificed. Um, But many of the folk religions had these animal sacrifices. And then you had in in Japan, you had the Shinto uh, religion, which later sort of um, took Confucianism and and Buddhism and and wrapped uh, them in. But they had uh, sacrifice of everything that was necessary for life. Those were things that you needed to sacrifice for the sake of appeasing the gods. So in this Hebrews book, it's written to, to Hebrews, that is Jews who converted to Christianity, they lived, they were fully immersed within a a culture where sacrifice was literally everywhere. Even if you went to Mesoamerica with the Aztecs, where uh, Tenochtitlan was actually their capital, and they had these huge pyramids, and what, what their god required, the sun god, was a beating human heart. Every single day, a beating human heart was required in order to ensure that the sun would rise. Who's happy you don't have to do that? Yeah, I got a hand. All of you are really horrible people if you're not (laughs) thinking that that's weird. Sacrifice was ingrained. The Hebrews were were not just living in their own culture of sacrifice, their enemies were doing it everywhere they looked, across boundaries, across cultures, across race, across creed and ideology, there was sacrifice literally everywhere. And the Hebrews were doing all kinds of different sacrifices. They were doing the, the guilt one that I talked about before where they would lay their hands on usually a, a lamb or some other and, and then the, the lamb would be sacrificed in the temple in order of appeasing uh, and accounting for their sins. And then they would have a burnt offering where they would take the fat usually out of a lamb and they would put it on the altar and burn it and it would make this sweet smell if you have ever barbecued. It's sort of similar to that, where it's just, that smells really good. So they're burning the fat on this altar. Um, or the, Sorry, the burnt offering is not that. It's where you burn the entire thing. And that was when you wanted to give your life uh, over to, to God, you, where in many ways you wanted your life to just burn over. When you're consecrating your life to God, you would burn it completely. Now, the peace offering is when you would burn the, the fat, and then you would eat it, uh, the the rest, with your family. And in many ways, you were joining in fellowship with others, and you were joining in fellowship with God. So in many ways, uh, for the Jews, it was this really cool tradition of sharing a meal with God. And so, for the Jews, there was something really cool about the idea of doing something for God that sort of made him happy, that, that appeased him. This, was, this had so much cultural and religious significance. And so when, when the gospel writers and when the author of Hebrew comes and says, look, Jews, you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to do any sort of ritual sacrifices anymore because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice none of this is needed anymore they're thinking well wait a minute that's my life that's just ingrained what do you mean everybody sacrifices we don't need to do that anymore see but he wasn't saying that you don't need to sacrifice anymore. In fact, he, he shifts really radically away from what it is to sacrifice. He said, it's easy. It's easy to give something unto death so that you can go on living. But sacrifice ought to be precisely in the living. So the shift was focused away, not what you're willing to let die for your sake, but in your life, are you willing to live for it in every moment? In Romans 12.1, which my father will preach on next week, but if I could steal a little bit from him, It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So it was no longer about a bull. It was no longer about turtle doves or pigeons or a lamb or about what you could give to death so that you could live. It was about what you are willing to do in life for the sake of Jesus. And so those three points, how do we sacrifice in the things that we say, in the things that we do, in the things that we're willing to give? One, we have to recognize that it is precisely in the way that we live. And I have, it's cool because I have some people from this group here today, but I'm, I am leading this small group uh, called The Point. It's a young adults group. And we've been going over John uh, chapter six. And there's a lot going on in this chapter. This is the chapter where Jesus um, feeds the five thousand men, probably with their family, so probably more, uh, where Jesus walks on water and there 's this also this really cool uh, sermon he gives um, about Eden, eating his body and drinking his blood that doesn 't sound very cool, but we 'll get to that uh, and peter 's confession so there 's a lot going on in this, but Jesus does this really 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 cool thing where in my mind he outlines how it is we get to a point where we're willing to sacrifice our very lives what it is the sort of the mentality we need to have to be living on the altar right cuz we're not called to put something on the altar to die we're called to live on that altar as the sacrifice And so in this story, when Jesus is across the river or the Sea of Galilee, I should say, from, um, why can't I remember the name? Who cares? I'll I'll, I'll remember it later. But he's across the river and he is um, being approached by this really big crowd of people. And you would think, oh, wow, this is going to be a great opportunity for Jesus to speak to these people. Um, And he does what I would probably do in that situation. Um, He goes away from them. And he just goes up into the mountains with his disciples. And so it's kind of weird. It's like, okay, so all these people are approaching him. He's like, yeah, not now. And he goes up into the mountains. He sits down with his disciples. This is John chapter 6. And once he sits down, a crowd of people... Approach him. In other words, he didn't make it easy. People came to him because they knew that he was doing a lot of miracles and cool things. And then Jesus walks away from them, goes up into the mountains. And really, the only people who followed him were the people willing to put in the work. They were saying, You know what? I think this person, Jesus, is worth it and there had to have been people who said ah, that's exhausting I don't think that it's worth it so it was there on, in, in those mountains where Jesus feeds the people he multiplies bread and fish and he feeds them and then he runs away again he leads them. They didn't know, he sort of snuck away. In fact, the disciples got a head start, Jesus walked half the way on the Sea of Galilee, uh, and then got to the boat, and the disciples were like, whoa, that was cool, you walked on water. This is a really big paraphrase, I'm sure it was cooler than that. And uh, he goes across the way, and when he gets there, the next day the people realize, wait a minute, where'd Jesus go? Oh, He had to go to Capernaum, Uh, remembered, Capernaum, he had to go to Capernaum and so when uh, a nearby uh, city called Tiberias had boats come over, they followed Jesus and Jesus in this speech lets them know, well wait a minute, you're following me for the wrong reason because once they're there, they're like, hey, uh, we really want to see a miracle uh, but here's what we want to see, bread we want you to make bread again. In other words, they were saying, look, we want to be fed. We want you to feed us. And Jesus said, the only reason you're following me is because of what you get. So first, Jesus doesn't make it easy to follow him because he says, if you you follow me, I only want you to follow me because you think I'm worth it. And then the second time he's saying, I don't want you to follow me if you're just thinking about what it is that you can get. And we do that sometimes. I've seen it. So apologetics is one of my favorite things to do. It's defending your faith. And I remember talking to people and telling about the truth of Christianity and say, Yeah, but what, I mean, what can Christianity really do for me? And I said, Well, stop. Who cares? You shouldn't be asking first, what can it do for you? You should be asking, is it true? Is it true? Because if it's true, then you will respond in the same way that Peter responds, which we'll see here. So Jesus highlights, "Don't only follow me if it's worth it. Don't follow me just because of the things that you get. And then he goes into this speech, and I want to read it to you because... Um, I think you'll understand uh, why many of the people who were following Jesus responded in the way that they did. Um, It says, um, Jesus said to them, do I have it? Oh, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Uh, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, already, right? You're like, okay, he's telling people this. Uh, You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Let me just tell you, the eats that he's using is, is to chew or to chop, right? It's even more gruesome than you would think. Unless you chop and really chew into my flesh, I'd be like, ooh. Uh, but you can respond however you want. Um, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And so Jesus is using this this gruesome imagery to really depict the reality of just giving everything to Jesus to be so sold out on who he is, right, that you just want to embrace him in the most meaningful way possible, that you want your life to be so intertwined and invested in who he is because you believe that he is the only real, true source of truth. But it says that at this time, many of the people who were following Christ left him. And it says they left him because this teaching was too difficult. And it's not that it was too difficult to understand. You're remembering this from the point, right? Not that it was too difficult to understand, but that it was too difficult to accept. And so Jesus looks at the 12 disciples and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And here's how Peter responds. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. In other words, he started with trust in Jesus and therefore ended with acceptance. This this could have been a very difficult teaching for Peter. And in fact, at the point I had everybody think about somebody in their life that they trust with their life. If you were to think now about somebody who, man, who could I trust with my very life? If I had to say, hey, here's my life, hold on to it, and I trust that you're going to take care of it. Who, who could you do that with in your life? You, everybody probably has somebody that they trust in that way. My wife, uh, several years back, went on, uh, I'll make this really brief, but she went on this prayer walk where her and a bunch of friends sat down and they said, God, we want you to lead us to people who need to hear about you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to write down, we're going to just sit, we're going to pray, and we're going to write down the first things that you put on our heart. And so my wife is sitting and even maybe thinking, man, some of this stuff seems pretty silly. She's writing down, you know, like green sweatshirt. I don't remember the details, so I'm going to make up details just so that you feel like I know the story. Um, You know, green sweatshirt, stop sign, that one's true, right, the stop sign? Uh, ch- black chair, just all of these random uh, details. Some of those I think are right. And they go out on this walk and they see a stop sign and then they see these people sitting down in the black chairs that they saw, wearing the clothing items that they wrote down, and all of these details all of a sudden coalesce into this perfect picture of what they're seeing right in front of them and they're saying, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit has really moved in this moment and and we are seeing all of the details, literally all of the details that we wrote down manifest here in front of us to these people. Now the hard part, of course, is to go and talk to these people. And they do. And they saw really cool things happen. So when my wife is telling me this story. It's, I'm kind of cynical, right? I'm, I'm like, uh, but I accept it because I know that my wife is telling me the truth. That what she said happened. Now, if some guy came up to me and was like, dude, let me tell you about the bright lights in the sky I saw and how it took me up, I'd be like, I don't believe you. Right? I don't believe you. I don't have that sort of relationship with this person. And if I did have a relationship with that person, then I probably would have known they were lying. (laughs) Uh, Which we all have those people in our lives too, right? Where they tell us things and we just shake our heads and say, yeah, that's not true. Um, But... So here, Peter is is demonstrating the sort of relationship that he has with Jesus. Where Jesus says something that is difficult not to understand, but to accept. And Peter says, I'm in a corner here. What else can I do? You are the only source for truth and eternal life. If you say it, the only reason that I believe that this is true... It's because you said it, Jesus. You said it. And I say all this because there is not a chance that we will ever be willing and wanting to live a life of sacrifice. There's no way we are willing and wanting to live on the altar if we do not have an authentic belief in Jesus. Because if we do, We're in that corner too. And we'd say to Jesus, what else can we do? You are the source of truth. You are the source of eternal life. Where else could I go? An authentic life is born out of an authentic belief in Jesus. We cannot live on the altar if we do not accept the reality and profundity of the person who died on it. Right? We can't live on the altar if we don't accept the reality of the one who died on it. And so if you are having trouble thinking or living in a way that you are willing to sacrifice with the things that you say, that you are willing to sacrifice with the things that you do, and you are willing to sacrifice with the things that you give, then please reflect upon whether or not you are really believing in Jesus as the only true and reliable source for truth. I'm telling you, if you embrace Jesus as the only reality, then sacrifice will be your reality. And I've, I, I am still learning to do this. I'm still learning to live in this way, but I want and I'm willing to do it because I am so Changed so there's a word that could say it, but it's I don't think I have it. But I am something with Jesus, something profound. You think of a word. And I want and I and and, and it's something that I try to teach my students every day uh, in the classroom because I want them to have it too. I I want them to want it. It, it it doesn't matter if they understand. It doesn't matter if they know all the stories. It doesn't matter if they remember all the facts. It doesn't mat- none of that matters if they don't want it in their life. And so, these three points of being willing to sacrifice in the things that you say, do, and give. More than anything else is that I want you to want that in your life. And so if that's the only thing you hear, if that's the only thing that you need to reflect on in your life is whether or not you are believing authentically in the reality of Jesus who died on that cross for you, then that's all I want you to hear. But if you're willing and wanting to sacrifice your life in this way, then let me go over those three points. How or what does it look like to sacrifice with the things that you say? So, the author of Hebrews shows us that an authentic life uh, manifests in sacrifice. And And he says this Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. So, let me contrast two things in my own life. Uh, I, I've told you before that I was very um, mean to my sister when when we were growing up. So, my sister, uh, when, when I was in high school, had self-image problems, right? She um, at one point was only eating air-popped popcorn, and she was very skinny, um, and she was very beautiful. And, but she, whenever she looked at herself, she saw herself as ugly, and sh- she saw herself as fat. And I knew this. I knew that that's what she, sh- she thought of herself. And so when we got into fights, and we were yelling at each other, I knew... I knew the way to get to the most vulnerable parts of her. And so I would look at her and I would say, You are fat and ugly. And I saw words crush and break. I've seen words just ruin a person's day. Ruin a person's mood totally destruct whatever self-image they had. I've seen it. I've done it. And then last year in my class, um, one of the things that I really wanted to do was that I wanted to speak truth into my students' lives. And, you know, they hear the things that they're doing wrong very often. I'm good at telling them when they're doing things wrong. But they don't have much time for people to tell them individually what it is that they're seeing in them, what they're doing strong, what they're doing well. And so I made a specific point of pulling each student out individually and letting them know what I see in them and how proud I am of them for certain things and and the strengths that they have. And I've seen words just excite and motivate and build people up. And I've just seen the power that we have to just really radically affect the lives of people with the things that we say. And I've, I've always said that the greatest lie we've ever told our kids in a stupid limerick is that sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. No. Words often will hurt you even more. Words have the power to break parts of you that stones and sticks never could. See, but words can also heal. Words can change the direction of a person's life. Words have power. Why else would God create the entire universe with just His words? They have so much power. And so now I like to ask myself, whenever I am using my words, I'm asking, are they serving their purpose. And I say that um, because of this. Let me tell you, I have too many stories, but I'm going to tell you this anyways. (laughs) Uh, I was uh, fixing my lawnmower uh, because what happens when you leave your lawnmower outside um, in the rain is that it stops working. So pro tip for anybody who thinks they can do that. And I left it outside literally the whole year. And then was, I had the audacity to be surprised when it wouldn't start. Uh, so I was taking this apart. I have some experience with small engines. And I was draining uh, the carburetor. I was emptying the gas. I was cleaning the carburetor. And my son, of course, wants to be out there with me. and and see what I'm doing, and and I'm using these tools. And at one point, he picks up the socket wrench, and he just starts slamming it against the lawnmower because that's helping. And I tell him, Rogan, no, 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 no. That's not what that's for. And I take him, and I I show him how to use the socket wrench, how to uh, pull the, the bolts out, and I let him do it. And he's learning, and it's awesome, it was a really cool experience to show my son that every tool has a purpose. And fast forward to uh, when we are fixing our bed, uh, my son and I were jumping on our bed, and he must have broken one of the boards in there, because <laughs> it snapped, and uh, so we have him on a weight loss program. Uh, obviously, you know, that's not true. Um, I probably did it. And uh, we had our uh, box spring up and I had to use the socket wrench to take the frame off. And we were going to um, put a piece of wood uh, to bridge the two broken boards to give it uh, back its durability and its, and its strength. And uh, while I'm trying to realign these boards, all I have with me is that socket wrench, right, that I use for the frame. So I start hitting the boards to align them. And lo and behold, my son's there. What does he say? He looks at me with dubious eyes. He says, Dad, that's not what that's for. And I say, You're right. And I was proud. And then I let him do it. (laughs) But I was really proud that he understood that that tools have a specific purpose. And when, when the author of Hebrews tells us here that your lips should be continually praising Jesus, if you do something, if you are mean, if you are maligning, slandering, gossiping, you should be saying, well, wait a minute, that's not what my lips are for. If you, it's not, it's not about, hey, you come here on Sunday and you get to sing a song and you praise. Therefore, I now have fulfilled my duty of praise. I've done it. That was it. That's, that's the sacrifice mentality where you put some, something on the altar and you let it die. No, no, we're called to live on the altar. This is something that you don't do in a moment, but you live in every moment. You continually praise with your lips. So when you leave here and you are saying something to somebody and it is breaking them, it is hurting them, it is mean, that's not praising Jesus. Jesus is not glorified in that moment. You are therefore not satisfying the requirement to live your life as sacrifice with your lips. The things that you say have power and that power should always be for the sake of Jesus. That's how we live. And in in, in the same vein, we should be sacrificing in the things that we do. Right? It's not sacrifice in a moment. It's the sacrifice we must live. So if we sacrifice... With our lips as a continual thing. We sacrifice in the things that we do as a continual thing. And, and really, the reality is, is that we have to quit thinking of ourselves as, as these standalone individuals where when we say, ah, I got it wrong, I got it wrong. Yes, when you get it wrong, but also think about how it hurts the image of Jesus. I worked at Costco for eight years, and I uh, was at one point uh, managing the membership and the marketing department. So when you walk into a Costco for the first time, and you're like, hey, I want a membership, that's my team, right? That was my team. And they're going to try to convince you to get their executive membership and uh, their credit card. It's a Visa now. It was American Express when I was there. And I was very, very good at getting a team of people to be successful at this. But here's the thing. At Costco, everyone who's been to a Costco, most people have been to a Costco. Image is really big to them. Member service is really big to them. They, They want to look... Good. They want to have the best member service. And so we have to satisfy that standard and that image. And when I was there, we had a gentleman. uh, Let me be really good at making this name up because I usually just say the real name. Um, Bob. That's easy. So Bob. Bob was a little too good at this. And I started to get complaints from members that would come in and say, well, wait a minute, I got this thing in the mail saying I got this American Express. I didn't sign up for that. And I'm thinking, well, that's not good. And I go up on the computer and I look up and it's this guy, Bob, who was signing these people up. And I realize in the research that I do that this guy is defrauding these people, right? He's flipping over this application and be like, and then you need to sign here. And they didn't realize that they were actually signing the spot saying that they're going to be getting that American Express card, right? And so then he would just sign them up when they left. That's really bad. That's really bad. And I remember having, uh, having to sit down. I had to let this guy go, obviously. And and one of the things I said to him was, think about what Costco represents. Now ask yourself, does what you did, does it represent Costco? I want you to do the same thing. Don't, don't be thinking, man, did what I do today represent Costco? No, <laughs> did what I do today Does it represent Jesus well, right? The things that I'm doing don't just affect my own image. You exist in fellowship. If you are that person who says, I'm a Christian and you are a stupid idiot, no offense. It's like, well, wait a minute, that's really offensive, right? If you are somebody who says they're a Christian but does not sacrifice in the things that they say, and certainly doesn't sacrifice in the things that they do, then you're not just hurting yourself. You are hurting the image of Christ and what He represents. And the last one, since I am pretty much out of time, the last one is simple. Sacrifice in the things that you say, Sacrifice in the things that you do and sacrifice in the things that you are willing to give. We are so dang spoiled. We have so much. And if we are not willing to give of ourselves of the things that we have for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of others then we're not living a life of sacrifice. We're living a life for ourselves. And that's not what we should be doing. And what I love, I think, most about this passage, because I feel like I, I identify with it, is that it ends with saying, if you live a life of sacrifice in this way, it pleases God. When uh, Rogan was uh, going through swim lessons, he had this thing that happened where he wouldn't put his hand under the water. It was actually super annoying. Um, He would just slam his face on the water really quickly because he was so afraid. And... uh, so he had his goggles on. He would just go, whap, whap, whap. and be like, I dunked my head. I'd be like, no, you just smashed your face really quickly on the water. Put your whole head under, under water. But he was so afraid. In fact, he would be at his swim lessons, and when he knew it was coming up, he would just be bawling. He, so I'm just watching my son in the water crying because he knows he's going to have to put his head under the water. And Even then, he would just smash his face into the water. And I'm thinking, oh, this is so hard. I said, you know, Rogan, I just... I want you to do this. It's you know you you know being brave is not about not being afraid, it's about when you're scared and doing it anyways, right? And trying to tell him all these motivating things, and eventually he overcomes this. And I remember, at one of the swimming lessons, he's crying, and then he dunks his head under the water, and he sort of realizes it's not that bad, and then he dunks again, and he dunks again, and he dunks again, and he's got it. And when he he. Uh, is out of the pool and dried off and he's back in my car and we're driving home. He says, Daddy, I dunked my head under the water. I said, yeah, that was awesome. And he said, are you proud of me? I said, yeah. And man, I love, I love being proud of my son. When he was up here, Uh, during the vacation Bible school and he was singing those songs and doing those hand gestures. I was just proud of my son. And I identify in that I can just see God in heaven. When we are willing to live a life of sacrifice and knowing that it pleases him, that he can just be like, I am proud. I'm proud of you. It just brings it close to home for me. The idea of him being, Rogan wanted to make me proud and I wanted to be proud. And I think that we should have the same heart, the same authenticity where we should want to make God proud and know that he wants to be proud of us. And so I I can tell you, I can tell you this. If, If you are not sure whether living a life of sacrifice in the things that you say, do, and give is worth it, or uh, perhaps you're wondering what you could get out of it, or perhaps you're just thinking it's too difficult to accept, stop, reevaluate whether or not you are actually embracing Jesus as the full and total reality of truth. That he has the answers because if you believe that, then instead of saying, I don't know, it's too hard or it's not worth it, you would say, what else can I do? If Jesus is the only way, then it's the only way I'll go. Living a life of sacrifice just is an authentic life born out of an authentic belief. And then, if you're at that point, and you want to give your life in that way, then question the things that you say, do, and the things that you're willing to give. And ask yourself, is this the purpose? My lips, when I say something, is that fulfilling the purpose of praising Jesus? The things that I'm doing, is that fulfilling the purpose of glorifying God? And the things that I'm willing to give or not give, is that fulfilling the purpose of glorifying God? Because only then will you be living a life on the altar as a living sacrifice. Please pray with me. God, I just, I, I thank you so much that you are a God who is willing to die for us. And I just pray so much that we would have that authentic belief, God, the belief that changes us. It reorients our purpose, God, a belief where we look at your truth and reality and we say, what else can we do but follow it, God, because you are the only way to truth. God, I pray that we would be willing and wanting to sacrifice in the things that we say, do, and give. God, I pray that we would be willing to live authentically on the altar. God, I just pray that you would speak this into our hearts, and this would be something that we are wanting to live out, just not here on Sunday morning, God, but just everywhere. We want our lives to be a living sacrifice. God, we want to glorify you everywhere, not just here. I pray that we would be willing to continually live our faith out, God, because our faith is real. And we just love you so much and thank you for today and forever. In your precious name, amen.